Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 23, would you? Matthew chapter 23 in the Word of God. Matthew 23. And as you're turning, all the children four years old up through third grade can be dismissed. All the children four years of age up through third grade. You can follow Miss Amber right out the back door for children's Bible time. All the children four years old up through third grade can be dismissed. Matthew chapter 23 is where we're at. Matthew chapter 23 in the scripture. Matthew 23. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Father, thank You for the privilege that You've given to us to open up the Bible. Thank You for each one that's here. Lord, I pray that You'd speak to our hearts. God, give us some truth tonight that maybe we've known for a while, but we just need to be reminded of it. Lord, help us, I pray, as we seek to understand this passage of Scripture, that, Lord Jesus, our hearts would be open, and, Lord, help us to look into the mirror of God's Word as it is in truth, a mirror. Help us not to be looking for someone else. Lord, help us to look for our own benefit so that we can be bettered, so that the wrongs can be made right. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd quiet our hearts and remove from our mind any distraction, and remove from this place anything that would distract. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do, because we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was a poor Bible college student, didn't have a whole lot of money, and uh, we, we were working, trying, praying, asking the Lord to meet the need at Bible college. And so any little uh, extra always was nice. And you got them every once in a while, an extra here and an extra there. But it was nice when you got a, an extra. And I got an extra. I got a gold watch. I mean, pure gold. It was one of those fancy watches that looked like nuggets all formed and welded together and, and a black face on it. It was a nice watch. I don't know how I came across it. I don't remember if someone gave it to me or... Or, or if some, somehow I found a deal, but it was a pure gold watch with a black face. In fact, it was so rich and so fancy, it didn't even have numbers. It was one of those kind. It just had little, uh, little, little digits, if you will. Just a, it was something. I mean, it was, it was so nice as a poor Bible college student to own such wealth and opulence. And I was glad to display it. Because I was going to be going into the ministry and, you know, you just never know whether you're going to have it or not have it when you get out in the ministry. And so I had it right on my left wrist. And I was so proud to be wearing a pure gold watch. I was just glad to be basking in this wealth and opulence because I knew that, that I didn't have it then and I wasn't sure if I would have it uh, when I got out in ministry. But after a few weeks, I noticed something that my wrist was turning green. And you know what I realized? That this was phony gold. It wasn't pure gold. In fact, I don't think it was any gold. It may have been spray-painted gold for all I knew. But now my wrist was turning green, and any long sleeve shirt that I had would get in danger of turning green. This was a real letdown. And do you know phonies are always a real letdown? And I want us tonight to look at the Bible and see what God has to say about phony baloney Christians. Phony baloney Christians. Let's look in Matthew chapter 23 and see what the Lord Jesus Christ himself says about phony baloney Christians. Now, in Matthew chapter 20 and 21 and 22, every once in a while, Jesus is getting uh, badgered, haunted, troubled by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were to ask questions not so that they could learn, but they would ask questions so that they could trip up and ensnare Jesus. And that's the way of a phony. They weren't wanting to grow in their Christian faith. They weren't wanting to sit at the feet of Jesus. They were wanting Jesus to get out of their way. Jesus to get out of their life. These were phony baloney Christians, if you will. They were, they were certainly not believers, but they wanted to pretend like they were religious. And like they were close to God when they weren't. And so Jesus has been dealing with them in the chapters leading up to Matthew 23. In Matthew chapter 22, he's been talking to them. In verse number 15 of Matthew 22, the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. 
And so they start to ask them, ask him questions. Verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Uh, they, they, they were asked questions again and again and again. And then Jesus finally had enough of them at the end of Matthew 22. And he comes to verse 41 and it says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now Jesus used question, questions as a tool to instruct and questions as a tool sometimes to rebuke, and questions sometimes as a tool to put to silence his critics. He's perfect because he is God. And he comes in chapter 22 and verse 42, and he asks this question, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. In other words, Jesus is asking, who's the Messiah? Whose son is he? Well, they were good Jews, so they knew that the Messiah would be the son of David. He would be of the lineage of David. He would come to sit in David's throne. Verse 43, he saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And there Jesus quotes from the Old Testament book of Psalms. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. In other words, watch this. Jesus put to silence his critics by asking them a question about himself. Now, Jesus is Christ, but they rejected him as Christ. And he asked them, if, he's, if he is his son, why does David in spirit call him Lord? This is the same idea where Jesus is referring to the Pharisees and mentioning, uh, mentioning Abraham in John chapter 8. And they're going back and forth about Abraham and his children and his offspring. And Jesus uh, is delighting in engaging with the Pharisees, these phony baloney Christians. And they come along and they say, we be Abraham's son. He said, if you were Abraham's son, you would know who I am and recognize me. And, and they said, we be of Abraham's seed. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they said, you're not yet, yet 50 years old. And, and, and how can you be of Abraham? How can you be before him? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was equating himself with the great I am of the Old Testament. And they knew that. So you know what they did? They picked up stones to stone him. Because in Jewish custom, that would be blasphemy if he was anything other than the great I am. So they knew that Jesus, by the way, those unsaved Jews in that passage recognize something that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists and any other cult does not recognize. That Jesus claimed to be God. And he is God. Now watch. If he is not God, he's the biggest phony that ever walked on the planet. So it really is the question, is Jesus the phony or are the Pharisees the phony? Is Jesus the phony or are the false teachers the phony? And so Jesus put to silence these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22. And then as the perfect teacher that he is, he began to instruct those around. Watch verse 1 of chapter 23. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Now watch Jesus is the master teacher. He's just used questions as a tremendous tool, which, by the way, every teacher and everybody that wants to teach should learn how to utilize questions. In fact, you should do a personal study on the questions of the Bible. It is absolutely fascinating, especially the questions of Jesus. So now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus has put to silence the Pharisees by his questions that they don't even dare to answer. And then, with them right in his presence, he turns to those who are not Pharisees, and he begins to talk about the scribes and Pharisees. Not about behind their backs, but be in front of their faces. Now, if I come up to you while you're standing there, and I talk to others who are standing nearby about you, wouldn't you listen? Oh, Jesus has their attention because he silenced them, and now he especially has their attention because he's talking about them. And they're listening. 
he says, they sit in Moses' seat. Whatever they observe, they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. Now let's just pause for a moment and see what a phony baloney Christian is all about. Look here, I don't want you to get green wrists. I want you to be able to spot a phony ahead of time. Now I was young and I was foolish and hopefully I've matured a little bit since then and I can tell the difference between real gold and fake gold. And it doesn't matter if there's a black face and it doesn't matter if the watch doesn't have any numbers. Uh, there should be some ways to test whether this is fake or phony. And by the way, we need wisdom and discernment to, dis to figure that out. There's a lot that will come. Jesus said many will come as, as Christ. That they'll be saying, I'm Christ, here is Christ, there is Christ. He says, but, but you need to try the spirits. And I need to try the spirits in my own life to make sure that there are no, there's no phoniness in my life. This is what David said. I love thy law, therefore I hate every false way. And you and I can become phony bit by bit and step by step and choice by choice if we don't hate every false way. Now, my love for the Lord will increase a hatred for that which is false. And here, Jesus is displaying for us qualities of that which is false. Look, please, again at the text, and I want you to draw your attention. Number one, the, the phony baloney Christian pursues the attention of men. Number one, a phony baloney Christian pursues the attention of men. Everywhere he can find it, everywhere he can see it, everywhere he can seize it, he pursues the attention of men. That's a mark of someone that is phony. That's a mark of what is phony. Look, when we talk about motives, we ought to step back and answer this question. Am I doing this to be seen of men? Because look at Matthew 23. Matthew 23, in verse number uh, 3, it says, They say and do not. In verse number 5, it says, All their works they do for to be seen of men. Notice, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. The phylacteries would be something uh, akin to what they even have now, uh, a little cubed box that they would put scriptures in and they make broad their phylacteries. Uh, they, would, uh, they would make it to be seen of men. Hey, look at me. Look at how scripture, the scriptures that I have uh, under my arm or close to my heart. And look at the scriptures I have close to my forehead and I have these uh, large borders on my garments. Why? Because I want to be seen of men. That was their goal. That was their heart. That was their desire. They sit in the uppermost seat, Moses' seat. Verse number six, it says they love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. Why? Because they pursue the attention of men. Verse number seven, in greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Jesus said, but be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't desire to be the teacher. You desire to be the learner. In fact, he emphasizes this in James. Be not many masters. The idea is, don't be prolific. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't have an opinion that you're gladly glad to share on every subject and on every matter. Uh, don't be the one that when you walk in the room, people roll their eyes because they know, here comes an opinion. Notice, he says in verse number 9, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. By the way, that's a good answer to our dear Catholic friends. I was preaching in Italy a few years ago, and there was a lady named Santina that got saved. She was in her 80s. This is just a miracle. And uh, she got saved and she had just to told me she had recently spent $1,200 of her own money to buy religious literature in the Catholic faith to distribute it. And she had just done that and then God saved her. Well, she started to read her Bible. And guess what? When you read your Bible, you see all the errors of, of falsehoods. And one of the errors of the Catholic Church is they call men their father. A man dressed like a mother, doesn't have any children, and he, he is called a father. It's a real pitiful thing. But here, it, it, he's, he's, he's called this so that he can be elevated, so that he can be exalted. And she went to her priest and said, why am I calling you father? 
When the Bible says, call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. He had no answer. So you know what she did? She went home and took all her Madonnas off the wall, put them in a bag and gave them to the priest. Praise God. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's what you ought to do with an idol. Throw it away. Pound it to powder. Burn it up because it's false. Verse number 10, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. All right, watch. Number one, a phony baloney Christian pursues the attention of men. If that's in your life, beware. You better get right with God. You better come to the cross. Lay that sin down at the cross. Get right with God in that matter because that's not what the Lord would have you do. But number two, not only do they pursue the uh, attention of men, but number two, they prevent access to heaven. This is what a phony baloney Christian does. They prevent access to heaven. He says, you don't go in, verse number 13, uh, neither, ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Now this is instructive. Because in this passage of Scripture, he is dealing with something very, very important. They are not saved, and they won't let anyone else around them get saved. That's the mark of phony baloney Christianity. And by the way, just because there's a cross on the outside of the church, and just because there's a, a Bible reference or two, and just because there's the name Jesus attached to it, doesn't mean it's of God. Doesn't mean they're preaching the Bible. You, you say, preacher, how do you know? Well, folks, listen to me carefully. I would like to say, this is how you know fill in the blank. But it's not that simple. Why? Because falsehood is deceptive. So you know what you need? Wisdom and discernment from the Lord. And when there is wisdom and discernment from the Lord, then all of a sudden you can understand, you can seek God's word, and you can know that person is not preaching the truth. They're not preaching it in context. How do they prevent access to heaven? Well, they preach the Bible out of context. There's a verse or two, but it's not in the context. And by the way, you don't have to have a doctor's degree. You don't even have to have a Bible college degree to understand what the context is. How many of you have ever had someone take your words out of context? Let me see your hand. You've had someone take your words out of context. You said one thing, and then they repeat what you said, and it's completely out of context. And you say, well, I never said that. And I never meant that in the way... That's out of context. You know how offensive that is? How upset that makes you? Think of how, that upset, how upset that makes the Lord. And by the way, you're, you're rarely more like the devil than when you take God's Word out of context. That's what false teachers do all the time. They'll take a verse and they'll twist it to say one thing when it says something entirely different. And here, the Bible says in Matthew 23, they prevent access to heaven. How do they do that? Well, they themselves aren't going, but they look religious. They've got a cross on the outside. They've got stained glass windows in the church auditorium. They've got soft organ music playing in the background. I mean, they, they, they look religious. By the way, folks, let me just say, liberalism is something that is detestable to God and foreign to the Bible. I'm talking about liberal theology, liberal, liberal politicians. It is detestable to God. And liberalism crept in in the late 1800s, early 1900s, to a lot of the mainline denominations. And in the early 1900s, you had fundamentalists that stood against it from different denominations, Presbyterian and Methodist and Baptist and, and different ones, and they stood vehemently against this liberal tidal wave that was coming in. And they wrote a book series called The Fundamentals, and they took key cardinal doctrines and said, we're going to stand for the absolute authority and truth of the Word of God. We're going to stand for the blood atonement. We're going to stand for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand for the, pre, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand for these things. And they took a stand. Well, come along about the 1940s, and you have the New Evangelicals, 
great big group in between. And you know what they did? They got tired of fighting the, the, the new, they got tired of fighting the modernists and the liberals. And so you had the fundamentalists over here, and these, these new evangelicals said, ah, we're tired of all this. So a guy named Harold J. Ockengay came along, pastor of Boston's Park Street pulpit, and as he was preaching, he, he said, we're going to have a new evangelicalism that says, let's get, sit down and talk with the liberals. Let's says, we're going to have a mainline uh, magazine. You know what it is? Christianity Today. That says, hey, we're going to have a spokesman. His name was Billy Graham. And we're going to have this, and we're not going to get involved in a squabble against the modernists. We're not even going to be bothering fighting them. We're just going to go about our own way. And do you know, ladies and gentlemen, most of the modern churches have been influenced by that compromising thought. That says, let's not stand against evil. Let's just dialogue with it. Let's sit down and talk. Let's hold hands with liberals. That's not what God says. God says, draw your sword and fight. God says, when there's apostasy, there's only one thing you can do with apostasy, and that's walk away from it. In other words, when something has... It's one thing to be infected by that which is false and phony. It's another thing to welcome it. And new evangelicals and modern churches, I'm talking about modern evangelical churches, have welcomed it. Uh, the, the, the whole emergent church movement, it welcomes it. And it says, well, we don't need symbols like the cross. We don't need the Bible. We, we'll just kind of uh, blend in with the world and we'll, we'll give them a, a, a message that is appealing to them. It's phony. It's false. Now, folks, look here. I'm not saying that everyone in these churches is all lost. I'm not saying that. But that's one reason why in the Methodist church, for example, they're fighting whether or not uh, women should preach or whether or not homosexuality should be accepted. Uh, I was talking to a Methodist preacher recently. He happens to be uh, an uncle. And uh, he, he's, he preaches the gospel and preaches the Bible and really should come out of the whole mess because that's what the Bible says. But he's been in it. And he was talking about the upcoming vote in the Methodist church. And he said, Dwight, he said, these battles should have been fought and won 40 or 50 years ago. He said, but in our world and in our churches, he said, everybody wants to be concerned about thou shalt be nice. And that's true. Well, look, look, I don't think you should be purposely hateful. I don't think you should be purposely mean-spirited. But guess what? When evil comes, there's one thing that it should find, and that should fi it should find a righteous opposition. Somebody should draw their sword, spiritually speaking, scripturally speaking, and contend for the faith. Uh, but So now, in these mainline denominations that once held true to the Word of God, that once had gospel preachers, that once were truth to the Word of God, now there's, there's no resemblance whatsoever that they're a church, except for the soup kitchen they run on Tuesday night and the bargain basement they run on Saturday morning. And if they didn't have that, there'd be nothing about it that looked like a church. Now, folks, watch. I'm going to say something. Phony baloney Christians are not saved themselves. So if they've got religious garb on and they're trying to pretend like they're going to heaven or think they're going to heaven, they're going to lead all their children straight to hell. They're going to lead all their followers straight to hell. And they're going to prevent access to heaven. And that's what religion without Jesus Christ as the only Savior does. That's what religion without the Bible as the only authority does. And Jesus said in another passage in the Gospels, you receive honor of men and because of that, I paraphrase, you, you keep people from heaven. Just because of a, 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 a mutual uh, honor society where we're honoring each other all the time instead of honoring the Lord. I want to say something emphatically. Baptist, Bible-believing Baptist folk have one hero, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, there are others that have risen to uh, prominence through their walk with God, and we follow their walk with God, and we ought to exalt their, their, their faithfulness to the Lord and their faithfulness to and preaching of the Word of God and their devotion to the Bible. But we have one hero, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the one we ought seek to honor. He's the one we ought magnify. He's the one we ought lift up. But, but not so with phony baloney Christians. Phony baloney Christians pursue the attention of men. Watch this. Phony baloney Christians prevent access to heaven. They're not going, and they're trying to keep as many people from going as well. 
Watch verse 14. Woe unto you. Now, notice. He silences the Pharisees at the end of chapter 22. Then he speaks about the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 23. And now he's speaking to the Pharisees. And when he does, he has their attention. Verse 13, he says, woe unto you. Verse 14, he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses and for ye devour widows' houses. Number three, this is what phony baloney Christians do. Are you ready? They pray on the weak. They pursue the attention of men. They prevent access to heaven and they pray on the weak. Those that are weak minded, those that are weak in their Christianity, they're weak spiritually. They prey on them. How do they do that? Well, they would be the ones that would lead them away from truth, lead them away from the man of God, lead them away from the church, lead them away into something false. They prey on the weak. He speaks about how they devour widows' houses. Well, this was a way that they would, uh, they would get the widows to give their house to the religious sect called the Pharisees so the Pharisees could benefit. Uh, you find this when you find some of these TV preachers like Creflo Dollar and Benny Hinn. He's a preacher. I heard Benny Hinn, uh, he recanted some of the things that he, he, he's believed. Well, good, I'll believe it when he changes his financial practices. Okay, when he gives back his money, then I'll know he's really recanted. Uh, he's following the path of Zacchaeus then. But these guys like Creflo Dollar and Benny Hinn, they're charlatans, they're crooks. They're, they ought to be run off the rails. They should be ashamed of themselves because they'll get some poor little lady and they'll, they'll, they'll flash the name Jesus out there and quote a few scriptures out of context and try to get them to give their last bit in earnings and they pray on the weak. They pray on the simple-minded. They pray on those that aren't discerning spiritually. That's what... Those, that's what those that are false do. And by the way, you don't have to be a TV preacher to be a phony baloney Christian. You don't have to be a TV preacher to lead people astray and pray on the weak. Watch this now. It gets more interesting. Verse number uh, 14, he says, For a pretense they make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Okay, he's speaking now to the Pharisees and says, There's degrees in hell and you're going to get the hotter hell. That's what he's saying. You're going to get the greater damnation because you, you lead captive silly women. You, you, you uh, take widows' houses and then for a pretense, they make long prayers. So watch, this is what the phony baloney Christian does. They, they pursue the attention of men. They prevent access to heaven. They pray on the weak. Watch this. They pretend what they are not. In other words, they're good at wearing a mask. For a pretense... They make long prayers. Folks, let me say this to you. Here's a rule that you ought to follow. Short public prayers, long private prayers. When you're praying in front of others, you, you shouldn't be uh, impressing them with how many uh, missionaries you can pray for. You shouldn't be trying to impress anybody when you're praying. You're talking to the Lord. And when you pray publicly, it should be short public prayers, long private prayers. Jesus says they think that they'll be heard for their much speaking he said, that's wrong. That's not the way a Christian ought to be. A Christian ought to be someone who prays something genuine and something real and not something that is a pretend. They know how to play pretend. Now, my, my daughter, probably more than any of my other children, loves to play pretend. I mean, Daddy, you pretend this. You pretend that. I'm pretending that I'm, uh, that I'm Mama's sister. Mama, you be Caitlin. That's Amber's sister. It's just pretend, pretend, pretend all day long. And that's all fine for a little two-year-old girl. And it's all fine for somebody that's just growing and maturing and their imagination is developing. It's not something that's good for a Christian. To play pretense? To play pretend? Someone came to Vance Havner and said, do you believe that only Baptists go to heaven? He said, no, I'm pretty sure most of them aren't going. Why? Because we know how to play pretend. Watch this. We go through the form of godliness and deny the power. Now I want to ask, have you learned how to talk the talk? answer the right questions, but you don't possess it? This matter of Christianity is something that is from the inside out. Religion goes from the outside in and barely gets past the skin. But true Bible-believing Christianity, true regeneration, true new life comes from the inside and it shows out. 
And the Bible says that they don't know anything about that. Phony baloney Christians pretend what they are not. They pretend to love you when they stab you in the back. They pretend to be kind and pretend to be gracious and pretend to be something that they're not. Now watch, folks. God would not have put this about the Pharisees to the Pharisees in the Bible if every one of us didn't have the potential of going that same way. Watch verse number 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Watch this. Number four, they pretend what they are not. Number five, they, they, pers- they pilot straight to hell. God's saying something serious now. He says they pursue the attention of men. They prevent access to heaven. They they prey upon the weak. They pretend what they are not. And then they pilot straight to hell. He mentions this in verse number 15, but he carries it on in verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is debtor. Ye fools and blind. Do you see what he says? You're a blind guide. He says in verse 15, he says, ye come past sea and land to make a proselyte, and when you've done so, you make him twofold more a child of hell than at the beginning. What are these? They're piloting straight to hell. In other words, whatever plane they're on is going straight south. It's going to find itself a crash landing, and down in the center of the earth someday, burning and writhing and screaming in hell. You better get off that plane. You better jump and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And by the way, I want to be unequivocal tonight. If you go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel, the best thing you could do is leave that church right now. Just leave it. Make up your mind. You're out of there. My dad was saved as a result of gospel preachers coming to northern Minnesota in Pengilly. An Assembly of God preacher got a burden. He lived in Hibbing. He got a burden for Pengilly, which was about 30 minutes to the east. It was 1950, and he said, well, we need to get a preacher. So he got a preacher by the name of Dan, who was a missionary to France or Japan, I don't remember which, and he, he came and he had a tent meeting. They had gospel musicians, they had gospel singers. They put up flyers all over the town. They passed them out to people. My grandpa, Art Smith, came home. He was a moral man. I had mentioned earlier yesterday that he had decided to give up alcohol or never even touch the stuff, and I thank God for that decision, but he wasn't saved. So he was a moral man. He was a church-going man. He was the treasurer of the Methodist church and had helped build it in Pengilly with his own hands. And he came home from the Hannah Mining Company. He worked in the tire shop. He came home, he saw a flyer in the country store announcing these tent meetings. He said, this would be good for the family to go to. He went and brought my grandma. He brought my uncle and my dad, and they all went to the tent meetings. They went back every night on the south side of Swan Lake. And they didn't get saved. Now, folks, look here. Don't, when you do what God wants you to do, when you preach the gospel, when you proclaim the truth of God's word, when you give the gospel, don't worry about the results. God is in the business of the results. And let me say this, when you give the gospel, you can bank on it, something happened. Whether you see it or not, whether you experience it or not, whether you observe it or not, that, that's, not that's not your vantage point. God does something. My parents didn't, my, my dad get, didn't get saved. My grandparents didn't get saved. My uncle didn't get saved. But the gospel hounds had been unleashed. And later, there would be a vacation Bible school that would come. A, a group of American Sunday School Union workers would come up into northern Minnesota. They'd have a VBS in this liberal Methodist church that didn't even believe and preach the Bible. Look here, in the Methodist church that my grandpa went to, that, that my dad went to, that my uncle went to, my grandma went to, they didn't believe and preach the Bible. Uh, the preacher would get up and preach. He would quote a verse and then tell about a movie he went to the night before. He'd get up and quote a verse and then read from the Reader's Digest. My dad went, my dad went to this VBS as a teenager, as a teenager. And, and uh, they, they preached the gospel. And then, watch this, they went back every weekend for several months into the fall. They preached the gospel. I'm thankful that they went there. I'm thankful that they got into that little crevice and that little 
I'm telling you, there is nothing. Is there anybody here that's ever been to Pengilly? There is nothing in Pengilly. It's a wide spot in the road. I mean, there might be two gas stations now where there was only one. There's a tiny little golf course. There's nothing there. And God carved them out of the rock. These evangelists were staying in my dad's home. And my dad, he was shy. He was backward. And he said, when I got saved, he said, he said, before I got saved, he said, I was backward and shy. And he said, I knew if I got saved, I'd have to start telling people about it. And he said, I just didn't want to do that. And he said, I, I was sitting on my bunk one night and I was talking to one of these evangelists and I asked him, he said, if a person gets saved, do they have to confess Christ? He meant, do they have to tell people about it? And the evangelist wisely said, no, but if you're saved, you'll want to. My dad rolled over, bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to save him. And he hasn't been able to keep quiet about it since. Right after he got saved, he was so excited, he, he, he started to teach, he started to teach uh, the Bible to a group of boys in the furnished room of the A-Frame Methodist Church. And, and, and he would teach them the Word of God that had absolutely come alive and then take them upstairs and the preacher, who was a liberal, would deny everything my dad taught. My dad started to see the difference. My dad went to the local Methodist bishop in Nashwalk where he was born and he said uh, that he'd been born again. You know what the Methodist bishop said? He said, well, just because you've had this experience, does that mean everybody has to have it? Uh, yes, actually it does, sir, because the Bible says you must be born again. And if you're here tonight and you're not born again, you must be born again. You need to come to Jesus and believe on Him and ask Him to save you. Well, the, this was phony baloney Christianity. Why? It was infected by liberalism. Let me tell you, let me tell you. I, don't talk to me about liberalism. I hate it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and the short distance in between. I hate it with every fiber of my being. My unsaved, drunk great-grandfather, who I spoke of yesterday, lived in Traverse City, Michigan. And do you know what they were doing, Brother Forsberg, in Travis City, Michigan? The liberals in the Northern Baptist Convention. You know what they were doing in Traverse City, Michigan in the early 1900s when my grandpa was drinking himself to an early grave and going straight to hell? They were figuring out, meeting in Traverse City, Michigan, and figuring out how they could take a church building from a preacher named Henry Van Osdell in Michigan who was giving the liberals a fit because he was standing for the truth. They weren't telling people how to get saved. They certainly weren't reaching my great-grandfather who died and went straight to hell. They weren't trying to keep them out of hell, hell or anybody else for that matter. They were meeting and convening to try to figure out how they could be an enemy against a true man of God. I wonder what would have happened if those people would have truly gotten saved and tried to reach the people in Traverse City. My, my family history would have been even more wonderful than it already is. Unbelievable. Why? Because they pile it straight to hell. A, a lady came in who was a representative in the Methodist church and she, she said to my dad while he was growing up, didn't tell him how to get saved, but she said this. She said, boys and girls, God used David to write scripture. God used Paul to write scripture. God used Solomon to write scripture. Maybe God will use some of you to write scripture. Am I the only one that sees a problem with that? No, 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 no. God won't use any of you to write Scripture because Scripture's already been written. And my dad said, she wasn't saying it out of malice. She was saying it because she genuinely believed it. And why did she genuinely believe a lie? Because the leaders in the Methodist church had embraced a lie. And the liberal Methodists and the liberal Presbyterians and the liberal Baptists, <clears throat> don't think I'm picking on the Methodists now. Don't think of that at all. My, my, uh, my, I mentioned my cousin and her husband and two of their three children died down in Sioux Falls. And we went to the funeral. And her mom and dad and her brother and sister pled with the preacher, preached the gospel. There were 2,000 people at that funeral. Brother Forsberg was there. That preacher didn't preach the gospel at all. I know my cousin was saved. I know her husband was saved. I know her son and daughter were saved. And you know what he said? He said they went to heaven because they were baptized. Boy, you talk about making a preacher mad. My mom was sitting right next to me. She reached over and grabbed my hand while he was preaching. I mean, I just about lost it. <laughs> 
Oh, was she upset. I looked over at a friend of our family's who's a preacher in North Dakota and he looked at me and he did like this right here. 2,000 people. And the preacher dropped the ball. I went to the gravesite. The preacher was a hireling. And later it was found out he was involved in immorality. He was a hireling. He didn't, read the, he didn't preach the gospel to the 400 people that were at the gravesite. He got up, read a verse from a perverted version, and left. Didn't even bother to hug the family. Made me so mad. I said, that's it. I've had enough. I'm preaching the gospel right here and right now. I said, Lenny, he was the brother of Julie who died. I said, Lenny, let me say something. I got up and I said, folks, Julie and Jim and Alyssa and Caleb are in heaven, not because they were baptized. I said, they're in heaven because they, and they're not in heaven because we as their family want them to be. I said, they're in heaven because the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And before they died, each of them believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, if they were here right now, they would want every one of you to know there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And the only way to gain it is through the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him and His cross and what He did on Calvary. I was scheduled to preach for a preacher in George, Iowa, who was a part of the, uh, of the same group of churches that that preacher was. I waited to calm down. I waited about two weeks and I called that preacher in George, Iowa. I said, hey, do you know that preacher over there in Sioux Falls? He said, oh yeah. He said, they're sister churches of ours. I said, well, sir, that funeral was my family. <gasps> he said, your family died? I said, yes. And I said, I was at the funeral. I said, and if you believe the same thing he preached, I'm canceling the meeting right now. He said, oh, I, I didn't know that. Now, false preachers can slip in anywhere, let me just say. But I want to say something, folks. I'm not just talking about liberalism infecting Methodists. I'm talking about it's infected Baptists. It's infected every corner of the world. And it brings death and destruction and misery and pain and darkness. And people live in their churches and they think they're all right. And they think they're going to heaven just because they're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or whatever. And they're going straight to hell. And the preacher is at the helm. At best, he's deceived. And at worst, he's a deceiver. Why? Because phony baloney Christian pilot straight to hell. They can't wait to push that stick in and drive that plane straight into the ground. Watch what the Bible says. Verse number 16. He says, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold of the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. He fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth thereon. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. You see? In verse number 23, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint, of anise, and of cumin, and have omitted the weightier things or matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. What's the problem that Jesus is highlighting? Watch. They, they pursue the attention of men. They prevent access to heaven, they pray on the weak, they pile it straight to hell, they pretend what they are not and hear it, they pinpoint the minor. They are tithing of mint and anise and cumin. Any lady here know what that is? Stuff in your spice rack. Do you tithe what's in your spice rack? Now God bless them for wanting to get it all right and tithe, but they were tithing of mint and anise and cumin. Let's just kind of, let's see, a 10% of this? Okay, we'll give that to the temple uh, on the next uh, Lord's Day. But they forgot judgment, mercy, and faith, and peace. They, they pinpoint the minor and completely forget the major truths of God's Word. That's what a phony baloney Christian does. Focusing on the minor to the exclusion of that which is major. 
Notice, please, what the Bible says in verse number 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For he says, verse number 24, Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. All right, what are they doing? What are they doing, folks? They are, they are focusing on the minor to the exclusion of the major. In verse 26, he, verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Ye, the, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Watch this, watch this, watch. Here's what the phony baloney Christian does. They, <clears throat> which by the way, they're not Christian at all. If they have not trusted Christ, they're not Christian. It's no more complicated than that. And, and yet, many times the form is the emphasis instead of the godliness and the power. So watch, they pursue the attention of men. They prevent access to heaven. They prey on the weak. They pretend what they are not. They pile it straight to hell. They pinpoint the minor. And then they paint the outside and forget the inside. They paint the outside and forget the inside. You know what I think one of the, the worst Worst things in our Bible-believing Christian, Bible-believing Baptist churches has been is the perfection perception. Let's just put it right here where we can all get it. Not a one of us in this room is perfect. Now, we should try to be perfect like the Lord is, but we should stop pretending that we are. We should stop being shocked when someone points out one of our faults. I'm guilty of what you think I am and probably worse. Now, I don't want to be, and I'm trying to get better in my Christian life, and I'm trying to grow in my Christian life, but, but not a one of us in this room is perfect. And when we create a culture and a mindset of, I've got my best foot forward and nobody sees anything bad about me, and I never admit any faults or failures, and I never present any weaknesses, and I never ask prayer because I've got it all together on the outside, there's something wrong with that. Now, I'm not saying we need to take our dirty laundry and air it for everyone to see, but we should be willing to admit, I'm not perfect. I still have room to grow. If you point out a flaw, thank you for pointing that out. You're right, and, and you pray for me, would you? Instead of, watch this, this is what they do. They're pointing out the flaws of everyone else, and they're pretending like they have none. There's a problem with this. What are they doing? They're painting the outside of the sepulcher inside are full of dead men's bones. They've got the outside of the platter okay, but the inside where the food goes, it's, it's, it's soiled, it's dirty, it's filthy, it's germ-ridden. Now watch. This is the most indicting part of those that are phony baloney Christians. Watch, he says, in verse number 28, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers." I'd like some deep theologian to tell me what verse 32 means. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Ye preacher, what do you mean, verse 32? Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Here it is. Number eight, they plot to kill the king. Mm -hmm. Look at me right now. If you're a sincere Christian, you're genuinely saved and you're sincerely trying to grow and you have felt the sharp knife of a phony baloney Christian in your heart, remember, their attack on you is ultimately their attack against Jesus Christ. He, when he says verse 31, verse 32, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Watch. He says, 
He says, you all say, as you garnish the tombs of the prophets, if we were in the stead of our fathers, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. He said, you've indicted yourself and that you've even connected yourself to them. He said, you show that you would have killed the prophets. He said, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. You know what he's saying? Go ahead and kill me. Isn't that interesting? Before when the Pharisees and scribes would pick up stones and try to get people around to kill Jesus, he'd walk right through them or he would vanish from their midst. But now he's headed up to his eyeballs with these Pharisees and this phony baloney Christianity. And he, he, he silences them with a question. He talks about them in their presence so he gets their attention. And then he talks directly to them and says, Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. You're Pharisees, you're hypocrites. And then he says, Go ahead and kill me. And guess what? Three chapters later, You know why? Because a phony baloney Christian plots to kill the king. Why? Are you ready? I'll tell you why. Because a, the king is a threat to their own dominion. The king is a threat to their own throne. There's a battle in my heart. I want to be the king. I want to be in control of my world. But somebody that's died to self and somebody that's submitted to the kingship and lordship of Jesus, he doesn't have any problem yielding to the throne of the king. But boy, when the phony baloney Christian comes along and he's face to face with the king of kings and lord of lords, it grates on him and he hates it. And he fights against it. And he balks against it. Why? Because he's all about pursuing the attention of men. He's all about preventing access to heaven. He's all about preying on the weak. He's all about pretending what he's not. He's all about piloting straight to hell. He's all about pinpointing the minor. He's all about painting the outside of the tomb while leaving dead men's bones on the inside. And he's all about scheming and plotting to kill the king. Now, wait, 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 wait. Lest you think I'm pointing my finger at anybody, I want to say, this passage is here for Dwight Smith and everyone in this room because there's enough darkness in our wicked hearts that we could become fun. While I know that I'm saved and on my way to heaven because I trusted Christ as a boy, I could allow a little bit of falsehood here and a little false way there. And I could end up leading my children straight to hell and their children straight to hell by being phony. This and I'm through. How many of you have ever heard someone say, and maybe you've said yourself, I'm not going to church because of those phony Christians over there. How many of you have ever heard that? Think of how many people will be in hell because of a phony baloney Christian. God, help me to love you so much that I hate every false way. Would you bow with me? Oh, I need to hear these words. And I need to read these words. What a warning our Savior gives us to flee from that which is false and embrace that which is true.